se recomienda las dosis de refuerzo de la vacuna contra el COVID-19 para ciertas personas. Para más información visita vaccinate.virginia.gov o llama al 877-829-4682. Mensaje del Departamento de Salud de Virginia. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by my brother, Kelvin Cox. If you too want to sponsor the podcast, go on patreon.com slash the Delvin Cox Experience. That's patreon.com slash the Delvin Cox Experience. There's free shows. There's plenty of content on there you can check out. Just go in there and check it out. It all starts at just a dollar. Peace. Welcome to the Delvin Cox Experience, the podcast in which each week I am on a one-man mission to unite our culture through diversity. I'm your host, Delvin Cox, and on the podcast this week, I have a special guest, somebody who's been a long time coming on this podcast. I'd like to welcome my boy, Red, to the podcast. How are you doing, brother? What's going on, buddy? Doing good, doing good. Red is the host of many podcasts, one new one that we're going to talk about today a little bit later, but before we do that, as always, we'd like to start the podcast off with the five for five. Five questions, five answers to get the ball rolling. Red, are you ready? I'm ready, buddy. All right. Question number one. Okay. What is the best album or song you listened to in the past year? The best album or song? Man, this is so hard for me because I'm so primed to do shitty music. <laughs> um, actually, there is. Um, it's a little out of my character for this, but I found it on YouTube. Um, it's a band called, and it's like deathcore music. Um, the band is called Slaughter to Prevail. The name of the song is called Demolisher. Okay, I'll check that out. They are a Russian deathcore band, and um, it's you got to have a taste for that kind of shit, and every now and then I do. Nothing wrong with that. I kind of have a taste for different music sometimes. Yeah, it's a, they're Russian, and some of the verses in the song are Russian. And I don't know if you know anything about deathcore music, but it's that low, guttural kind of stuff. You know what I mean? This guy has some of the lowest guttural screams I've ever heard in my entire life. And that's what really caught my attention. Slaughter to Prevail, the song is called Demolish. It's pretty damn good. Okay. Question number two of this pertain to your podcast you do with my boy Brandon, Shitty Song of the Week. What is the shittiest song y'all have done so thus far? Oh, man. Um, well, everybody's favorite, Barbie Girl by Aqua. Oh, that's a trash song. That's a terrible one. Um, we're getting ready to get into some rap music here in the next episode coming out. Sure. Oh, I know plenty of shitty rap songs. Yeah, I've got a good one. I'm, I can't say it because I don't know when this episode's going to come out, but... Um, Let's see. We've done um uh man, it's we've got covered so many. Um we were on the Robin Slim show recently and we done um rock music and I done some Godsmack and um uh let's see, there was Oh man, dude, you, you're catching me off guard here. 
if there's so many shitty songs that three of them doesn't really stick out. Um, I mean, there's we cover so many topics or so many genres of music. Yeah. That it's honestly, here's my answer, that it's honestly hard to just pick three. You know what I mean? Like, I could go all over the place with it. I mean, Aqua, you know, um, the Barbie Girl song. Um, Seven Mary Three has a song called Cumbersome that's pretty bad. Um, We've done uh, Ozzy Osbourne, An Ordinary Man, that's pretty terrible. We've covered some Metallica that actually won shitty song of the year last year whenever they'd done a song with Ja Rule. I remember that. I think I was on that episode. You may have been. You may yeah, have. I was on that episode, if I remember correctly. That was a horrible song. It's, it, um, it actually won shitty song of the year. Wow. I think, I think I'm the one who brought that song up. Matter of fact, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's um, We Did It Again, I think it's called. Something like that, yeah. It's an awful song. It wound up winning uh, Shitty Song of the Year. Congratulations. Yeah, yes, I think uh, I remember that episode very well. Okay, yeah. question number three. What is the dumbest thing you think you've done as a kid? Dumbest thing I think I've done as a kid? Um, well, as a young man, I got into a horrendous car wreck. I fell asleep at the wheel, almost killed myself in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, as a kid, uh, playing laser tag in a hay barn, I got bit by a spider and almost lost my pinky finger. Woo! Skateboard accidents. I mean, it, it goes it goes from one extreme to the next, man. I'm all over the place. Falling asleep behind the wheel is not fun. I've done that before. It's a very similar thing. Either could have died. No, this happened actually in 2007. I was a, I was a young man. Uh, this happened about 13 years ago, actually. Uh, a friend of mine asked me to call some cars with him. And we drove to Texas, picked up some cars. Or, no, I'm sorry. We drove there with cars and drove back empty. And on the way back, we switched drivers. I fell asleep at the wheel at like 6 o'clock in the morning. Next thing I remember, I'm eating the side of a guardrail. And we flipped this truck about four times. Woo. And I walked away with a scratch on my elbow big enough that you could cover it up with a paper towel. Wow. Yeah. Hey, those accidents are not fun to see, at least. Yeah, I went through a little spout of uh, anxiety, uh, depression, what they call PTSD a little bit, I guess you could say. Um, it was rough, dude. It was rough for a long time. Yeah, that's something that a lot of people don't realize when you get in those type of accidents. You get straight up PTSD from it, from driving and everything like that. Like my accident, I got a concussion and I had a big old scar on the top of my forehead and everything from it. Yeah, see, uh, I think the worst part of it was uh, after it was over with, seeing what I lived through. You know what I mean? That was the worst part. I think for me mentally, but I, I could fall asleep and hear like glass breaking and metal crunching and all this kind of stuff. And it, it took a toll on my mind for a long time. I've learned to battle it and fight it, you know, myself without medication and all that now, but uh, it was rough for a long time. Yeah. Question number four. If you can give your younger self any advice, what would you tell your younger self to do? 
pay attention, listen. Um, don't be so quick to judge people. Um, have fun. Um, and try to be the best human being you can be. Good advice. Advice. All right, final question for the five for five. Okay, zombie apocalypse happens, Red. You got to be, be ready for this. You can take five things to go out in the world to survive. Anything you want to. Family and pets don't count. This is Walking Dead style. What five things you take it to with you to survive? Uh, something to start a fire with, which would be one of those little flint thingamajiggies. Okay. Um, a knife. Okay, those two good things. Canteen. Okay. Probably a machete of some kind. And uh solar powered MP3 player. Well, that's pretty good. Pretty smart, actually. I got if I'm killing zombies, dude, I gotta have a soundtrack. So you can be like a Star Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> gotta have a soundtrack. Awesome. All right, man, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself for those who don't know and a little bit about the podcast you do because you've been doing it for a while. Yeah, my name's Red. Actually, my name is Wayne Mincy. Uh, I come from the South. I lived in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for about 34 years. Moved to West Virginia about four or five years ago. Been here ever since. Uh, I have three redheaded children. I've been married for 20 years. I am a tattoo collector. Podcaster. Podcaster, yeah. I've got um, a couple shows that I do. Um, we do I do uh, Shitty Song of the Week with Brandon Fisher. I do just a podcast with Brandon Fisher. Um, I pulled two years with a podcast called the Paycheck and Red Podcast where we talked about any and everything. And I've got some plans for another one. Okay, tell me a little bit about the new one that you plan on doing, because I think that's going to be pretty interesting. Well, um, it's the first time I've ever done what I'm calling a solo show. But the idea is to kind of do what you do or kind of do what the Boys podcast do for people that don't know who that is. Um, it's like an, it's going to be like an interview-style show. We'll be bullshitting, hanging out, talking about any and everything, really, from music to conspiracy theory to movies just whatever comes up um i'm gonna be doing some random rapid fire questions kind of like what you're doing now just my version of it uh good i kind of took ideas from like four or five different shows that i listened to and that i'm friends with you guys and i kind of com- compiled all of them together and that's a good idea i like it i like yeah. it a lot you know, and also I do, um, I do, I'm, I'm a YouTuber, you know what I mean? I love watching YouTube and getting into videos like that. So I watch, uh, the GGN network, Snoop Dogg's panel that he's got. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've heard of that. It's really good. If you haven't checked it out, it, you can check it out. Um, he does a rapid fire, random question thing for everybody that he has on his show. And we're talking about celebrities and whatnot. So he just yeah. from a rapid, random questions and i kind of took a little bit from that um they might be some trees involved you know a little bit of smokage so 
I kind of compiled a lot of you know, shows that I listened to kind of into one podcast. And it's really what what we've done at Paycheck and Red, just in a different format. Really. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I feel you on that. I think that's a good idea. I think it's going to be a cool concept. Can't wait to start hearing that. It's watching you grow with that. Yeah, I've uh, just come up with the name of it. I've just locked down some intro music. I got a guy working on the lyrics and shit to the intro music now. Um, I'm still a couple weeks out with it, though, so it'll be a little bit before anybody hears anything. Yeah, probably by the time this come out, it'll probably be episode one, probably be in the can, I think. I'll probably say that, yeah. But that, that's pretty cool. I, I like that concept. Um, let everybody know about you. Your podcast was a shitty song of the week that you and Brandon do. I love the podcast. I've been on twice, I think, maybe three times, actually. Three times, yeah. It's a, it's a music review show in layman's terms. But what we do is we take, unbeknownst to one another, we take two shitty songs and we pit them up against one another during the show. And we listen to it and we plead our case. And we put out a poll on Twitter at Shitty Song Pod um, each week after the show comes out, and people get to vote on which song they think is the shittiest. And we take that winner at the end of the week and we put it in a list. And at the end of the year, we do what we call Shitty Song of the Year. And we bracket style everything down. And at the end of the, it's like a two and a half, three hour show, but we bracket everything down. And then there's a, there's a one single winner. The Metallica Ja Rule song that we were talking about earlier won last year. But we, we take listener submissions. Sometimes we, um, we pick our own songs and be known to one another. So when we present these songs, nobody, either, either one of us has any clue what we're doing. Um, and we go, we, we skip through genres. We do rock, pop, rap, country. You know, we kind of theme it out to if it's a female pop singer or big hair band, hairspray rock or SoundCloud rappers or, or whatever. We kind of break the genre down a little bit so we can get kind of specific with it. But most of the time, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think what that was one episode I loved that I was on was um we did the Backstreet Boys versus NSYNC, and we picked two of their worst songs. That was a good episode. Yeah, that was a real fun episode to do. Um, we, we we take it seriously. It sounds like a fun show, and it really is. It's a, it's a fun no nonsense or a fun nonsense show. But we take what we do seriously. I mean, not it, this whole entire thing is subjective. You know what I mean? What I think is shitty music might not be shitty music to you or anybody else. But um, sometimes Brandon presents songs that I think are really good, and I end up liking, or you know, he thinks it's shitty, and I wind up thinking it's a really good song or vice versa so it just gives people a chance to realize that there's not just radio mainstream music out there and a lot of the songs that we do are radio mainstream but we like to go down rabbit holes sometimes and pick out songs that nobody's ever heard yeah it's also fun because music is subjective and it's interesting the choices you guys pick that sometimes you guys listening to your commentary on it can change an opinion you'll listen to like oh yeah this song is kind of shitty when you really think about it. And I like that aspect of the show. We had Jody B on from the Po' Boys podcast a couple weeks ago, and he brought Freebird by Leonard Skinner. That motherfucker. Right? (laughs) 
there's still some animosity between me and Jody over that. All in all in all in fun, of course. But yes. You know, and and and, and really truthfully, Delvin, when he broke it down, the actual song, it is a long droning, you know, thing. So he pleaded his case, he made his points, you know. So and we came up with uh it was like me and Brandon against Jody. So he had Leonard Skinner's Freebird and we picked Hotel California by the Eagles. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty controversial. I, I like the fact that you guys picked songs that like that, like Freebird and Hotel California. Those are great choices. Though that makes an interesting conversation. We give uh, a different perspective. Because Freebird and um, Hotel California are very iconic songs. Very much so. And everybody loves them. You know, most people, I'd say 90% of the population would say those are great songs. Yeah, I agree. You know, but me and Brandon fall in that 10% of people that say, that song's not that great if you listen to it. <laughs> you know, if you really break it down, it's not that great. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it kind of gives uh, a chance to listen to music in a different way. You know what I mean? Because some of the songs man, I've heard a billion times, but when I sit down and I actually listen to them and I break the actual music and the lyrics down, they wind up being terrible songs. Yeah, I agree. Those songs are not very lyrically profound. <laughs> yeah, for real. All right. Let me ask you this question. I want to ask you a couple of questions. First question is, you grew up in the South. What was it like growing up in the South? Because I also live in the South, and I'm quite sure me and you've had two completely different experiences with the South in terms of growing up. Um, I lived in, I would say, rural suburbia, if that makes sense. I didn't live in the country in my early childhood, but I did live like on the outskirts of it, between the city and the city, if you will. Um, I went to a predominantly white elementary school. Um, I went to a predominantly black middle school. And then high school was probably 60, 40 black. So let me ask you this. What was it like going from a predominantly white elementary school to a predominantly black middle school. That had to be a culture shock, to say the least. Well, the only reason that the elementary school was predominantly white and the middle school was predominantly black was because of location. The county and the town that I lived in was kind of a salt and pepper mix. You know what I mean? It was pretty much equal. But the parts of town they were in dictated pretty much the color of skin that went there. Across the town, there was another elementary school that was predominantly black. So it just so happened the part of town that I lived in was the predominantly white one. But between middle or elementary school and middle school, we moved. And I, we moved to the other side of the railroad tracks, if you will. And I had to go to the predominantly black middle school. It wasn't really bad because by the time fifth grade summer was over with and I got into sixth grade in middle school, the neighborhood that I lived in was a good mix, and I played with all kind of kids. So it wasn't really too bad, and it wasn't like, oh, my God, a black person. You know what I mean? I, I've seen black people all over the place. So 
it wasn't really a culture shock, really. It was just the shock of going from seeing mostly white people to mostly black people. Because even the teachers at this middle school were predominantly black. I mean, just about every – you had your white teachers, but most of them were black. So, yeah, I think that's interesting because I went there, well, my first start elementary school, like first, I want to say second grade, first grade, I went to a predominantly white school because I my family moved to Orlando and it was mostly white people there and I went to a predominantly white school and I was probably like the, one of the only black kids in the class. Then when I got to like second to third grade, we moved back to Miami and I went to a predominantly black school for, I want to say, till high school. And high school was kind of just black and Hispanics mostly. Right. So it was an interesting experience just in general with that in terms of how you're perceived and how it goes. Cause like when I was in a predominantly white school, being the only white guy, black guy there, it was kind of a situation where people didn't want to communicate with me because they didn't know how to communicate with me. They didn't get it. Like a, It was like I was a freaking unicorn in a point. Like, you know, like I'm the only black kid there. They've never probably seen a black kid before. Now, I'm, I'm not going to say that, you know, me growing up, that it was all khaki shorts and polo shirts. You know what I mean? It wasn't like straight up like goody, goody white people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the people yeah. who were around were country folk. And, you know, there were some richer folk, you know what I mean, that went to school with me, but that's not the crowd I hung out with. So even in elementary school, it was, you know, a mix of, some of the bad kids that didn't have a lot of money to some of the bad kids that, that did have money, you know, and I made it through school, through elementary school, not really having problems with um, white or black people, really. You know, I mean, I was in elementary school. That, that's pretty much a time of, of innocence as far as color goes. You know, yes. you still, you, you're still a bad kid and you still get sent to the principal's office every day, but you don't really, experience that right yeah you don't really experience that color difference until you get into middle school and everybody's mind matures a little bit more yeah i experienced it one time in elementary school in first grade and i didn't experience it again till high school maybe oh dude my high school was off the chain i mean middle school like seventh and eighth grade is when all of that shit really started for me Remember I told you I moved from one side of the railroad track to the other side? Yes. Okay, that is that transition. So whenever I lived in the white part of town, we moved to the other side of the railroad tracks, quote unquote. It was literally like, we're going to call it Main Street. Black kids was on one side of the street in their neighborhood. White kids was on the other side of the street in their neighborhood, but it was literally just a main street that disconnected us both. So you could stand on one end of the streets, you know, and holler and talk and do whatever, you know what I mean? And I was friends. I played football with some of these people. We were good friends, you know what I mean? But that was at school. When they got home and in the hood, it was a completely different story. I got. Why do you, why do you think that was a thing? 
I got chased down and jumped by three dudes that I played football with and that I grew up with. Like I, one of them I had known since kindergarten. And he was in the three that, that jumped me for being on the wrong side of the road because I was going to dude's house. You know what I mean? Like I was going to dude's house. Like it was after football practice. I was just going to check him out and hang out for a minute. And yo, motherfucker, you on the wrong side of the road. They, I was on foot. They chased me. They were on bicycles, and they chased me down on the bicycles and kicked me off into a ditch. Off of them, you know, they were on bicycles, and I was running, so they rode up beside me and kicked me off in the ditch, jumped off, and beat my ass just because I was on the wrong side of the road. Why do you think that's a ever been a thing? Because that is something that's a common occurrence in terms of like gangs do it all the time. Whether you're like Bloods and Crips, you're on the wrong side of the street. We do it with racist stuff like that. Why are you in this neighborhood? Why do you think humans are so territorial and want to be around their kind of their own pack? Why do you think that's a thing? Because I remember going to school. I may have told this story. I don't think I told the story in this pocket, but I may have told the story before. I went to when I got to middle school. I was in sixth grade, and they had this thing every year. And this is crazy. This is a crazy note. Not like I did tell the story to Jody, Jody B. This is the crazy notion I had. They had this thing called Cracker Day. It, it sounds just as bad as it is. Okay. Where the black kids would pick a white kid out after school that day and beat the shit out of And I remember when I got to school and they told me, hey, it's Cracker Day. You got to go beat up white people. I said, have y'all lost y'all fucking mind? This is sixth grade. And I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I got in like a big argument with kids about it because they wanted to beat up our friend. I'm like, we were just hanging out with him yesterday. It's stupid. It was only like five. The funny thing about, the, the most ridiculous thing about this whole thing is there were like five kids in our school that were not black in terms of like, there was three were Spanish, two were white. Only one of those white kids came to school that day, and he, and he went home and all that. The kid they were trying to beat up was a Spanish kid. His name was Carlos. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, this is obscenely stupid. And people got really upset with me because I was defending a quote-unquote white kid, and I wouldn't let them beat up and jump a white kid. So you had a day at your school called Cracker Day, and there was only two crackers in the whole school? Yeah. There were two actual white people in the whole school. The rest were Hispanics. So, technically speaking, the years before that, when they because this stopped like shortly after I got there. I'm not saying I stopped it. It's just people told principals. They said, no, this is stupid. But before I got there, the thing was, they weren't beating up white kids. They were beating up Hispanic kids. Wow. Because there were no white kids in that area. Like I said, there were two white kids who went to our school. One wasn't there that day. The other one already had went home. <laughs> I think I think the whole pack mentality comes. I think that's in our genes. We are meant, we are feral creatures, I think. We're, we're meant yeah. to, to roam in pack. You know what I mean? And when it comes to modern day terms, I think it's street cred. You know, because after that happened to me, the next day at school, 
my buddy was like, look, dude, I, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? But that's just how it is, man. You know what I mean? Like, we friends at school, but whenever we get home, like, that's not how it is anymore. Like, it's street cred. I, I can't let my boy see me. And he told me this in confidence. I can't let my boy see me hanging out with you when I'm at the house. And these guys were hood hikers. You know what I mean? They didn't even go to school. Most of them didn't. You know what I mean? Half the neighborhood was already dropped out or not old enough to go to school. Little snot nosed ass kids running around everywhere. So the pack of four or five of them, or however many it was, there were only two or three that I went to school with. And the other two were just gangsters. You know what I mean? I didn't really have a lot of dealings with them. But it was at that moment when I got jumped is when everything changed for me. Okay, elaborate on that. Let people know what you talk about in terms of how everything changed. Because this, that's traumatic. People don't realize how traumatic it is getting jumped. Dude, I got my ass beat in a ditch. Like, it was bad. Like, matter of fact, I have a beard. And if I was to shave my beard, I have a scar right here on the bottom of my chin where I got kicked in the chin. with You, you know what a high-tech boot is, right? Yes. You know the high-tech boots from the 90s? Yes, I do. I got kicked in the chin with a steel toe high-tech boot. And I got a scar on my chin right here from it. I had like six stitches in my chin. Wow. But it was at that point that... I had a dislike for black people. I hated black people. Well, let's get to that because... Because of that one particular incident. Yeah, let's get to that because one of the most fascinating things I found, I think about you is the fact that you are a person who is willing to say, at this point in time in my life, I did not like black people. And then I kind of reformed and realized the error of my ways and corrected that. I think that's dope to see that error and be able to fix that. Let, let's get to how that exactly happened. Like, you explained the negative and, like, how these people jumped you because of your color of your skin. How did you kind of move on from that? Well, first off, I'd like to say I'm not trying to play a victim here by any means. Not at all. No, no. This is your story. Turning point in my life. Dude, when I got up out of that ditch, I had a hatred for them. After they got on their bikes and laughed and rode off, he laying in the ditch, like, like half breathing in a puddle of water. It, it was like something in my head clicked. And every body that I ever come across from that point on, it didn't make a damn. If I've known them for years, if I knew who their mom and daddy was, if I went to school with them, if they were neighbors, if I come across them in the grocery store, it didn't make a damn. Fuck you, dude. I don't like you. And then that's when I started wearing Confederate flag T-shirts and holding up a Confederate flag bandana and sticking it in my back pocket and wearing it to school. And I got into a lot of fights because of that at school. I've had my nose broke about four times over a Confederate flag do-rag in my back pocket. And at and just every instance that I ever had just built up to, I just hated everything about black people. I didn't like the way they smelled. I didn't like the way they looked. I didn't like the way their babies looked. You know I mean? It was, I was, it was bad, dude. I never signed on to any Ku Klux Klan or any skinhead militia or anything like that. But 
I had a group of friends that I hung out with that all felt the same way I did. I dropped the N bomb more than I said my own name. So what was it like having that sort of hatred in your heart and in your mind? That had to be dude, it was oh, heavy. Crippling. You know what I mean? For for a long time, it was just my way of life. I done I done research, you know, and I found out I asked my dad questions about this and that. Because I grew up in the, the the deep south of South Carolina. And I asked my dad and family members you know, about things that happened back in the day. And I've got an uncle that beat a black dude to death over, over a pool table, over a pool game. I've got, I had family pictures of family members that were doing horrendous things to black people, black and white pictures. I had a great grandfather that was a grand dragon in the Ku Klux Klan. So that solidified everything that I felt like this is in my blood. You know what I mean? Like, this is the way I'm supposed to feel. And it was a burden that I lightly carried for a long time. And and, and even into my adulthood, like the hate kind of got, hate is hate. Okay. You either hate something or you love something. There's no in between. But the the load kind of lightened, you know what I mean? In my grown up years, because I had to work with black people, I was friends with black people you know what i mean so it was what i started calling casual racism okay explain to people who don't know what casual racism is casual racism is stereotyping watermelon fried chicken black facing that's casual racism um you know i'm a white dude i'm i'm white as they come I had a habit of calling my friends niggas. What's up, my nigga? You know, that was something that I did as a joke. But to me, that is casual racism. And that's the that's what it turned into until I started having children. And that completely changed everything about the way I believe. That and... Um, some friends that I've met along the way that have helped, you know, make me see the light, if you will. You know, it, it made me realize that, you know, there are a lot of good people in the world and they're black, they're Mexican, they're Asian. You know what I mean? They're a, a bunch of different colors. But I think that whenever I started having kids and my kids started going to school, you know, it wasn't that, you know, I had a distaste for black people at this point. It was just, you know, I kind of, I'm going to say I grew out of it, kind of, you know what I mean? And that's just a cop out, really, you know what I mean? Because all those feelings were still there. I just didn't express them outwardly anymore. You know what I mean? So my oldest daughters, First day of kindergarten, 35 kids in it, 14, 15 of them were black, you know, and, I, and there was no problem with it, I thought, you know, and my daughter had a friend that she met and he wanted this little girl to come play. 
little black girl. And I was like, oh, I don't think so. And I didn't give it a reason. It was just, that's not what we do. You know, that's, you know, my, my philosophy was, and my philosophy was, if we were meant to mix, we'd all be the same color. You know, and my daughter wasn't having any sexual relations with this girl. They were kindergartners. You know what I mean? It wasn't like they were procreating or anything. Yeah. It was just, don't do that. And then when, when they got older, you know, it was like, you know, don't bring no black, no black boy home to my house. You don't do that. You ain't dating black dudes. You know, that's out of the question. That's not how we do things. If we were meant to mix, we'd all be the same color. And that was my philosophy for a long time. But then my oldest daughter, she got into middle school and, you know, a lot of her friends were black. A lot of her friends were Mexican. You know what I mean? And there was really nothing that I could do about it. Literally nothing. And I was the bad guy if I couldn't, if I didn't let these little girls spend the night at my house, you know, on the weekends with my, with my, with my kids, you know what I mean? Because they were friends. I was the bad guy. So, Eventually, I just said, yeah, they can come over, you know, and you've got kids, Delvin. I don't know how you, but whenever my kids, and this is the way it was whenever I was growing up, whenever my kids wanted to spend the night with somebody, you got to talk to their mom and daddy first. That is true. You know what I mean? That's just customary. You got to meet their mom and daddy first. And I met a little black girl. I met this girl. I met this girl's mom and dad. They dropped her off. And come to find out, I used to work with the black dude. With the father. I used to work with him a long time ago. He was a jam-up dude. Never had any problems with him. We talked. We kind of reminisced a little bit. That girl came to my house all the time after that. And, you know, it, it just, you know, I started thinking that, you know what, maybe... This is a burden I don't need to carry around anymore. You know what I mean? I don't, it's not hurting me physically, but that's a hate that I can let go of. You know what I mean? Like I don't have to hold on to that anymore because that's not, for one, it's not the right thing to do. Two, it's it's just not what, I used to be one of those people whenever all this transition started happening, I was one of those people that believed racism didn't exist anymore. You know what I mean? Like everybody yeah. supposed to get along and racism's just a, a curtain. You know what I mean? That people make excuses for and all that shit. And I met a guy um, for the beard community. I used to do uh, beard competitions a lot few years ago and I met a guy that had a beard care company um, and he has this whole um, grace philosophy which means give everybody a fighting chance don't ever judge somebody by the way they look just have grace you know what I mean like Jesus have grace so he believed in growth and you know obviously because it was uh, a facial hair thing, but his company logo, this is an interesting story, a little side story for you real quick. His company logo was growth in all things. 
and he sold his products by that motto. And I liked it so much because it meant more to me than just facial hair. It meant so much to me that I've got it tattooed on my hand right now. Yes. And it's a daily reminder for me to grow every day. You know what I mean? In some way, grow as a person every single day. And since that time, you know, I used to call my, I used to say I was colorless. You know, I, I'm, I'm a changed man. I don't see color anymore. You know what I mean? We're all one people. We don't, you know, I don't, I don't look at color. I was colorless, as I used to call it. And I lived that way for a long time. Like I didn't see color. And I'm a good person. You know what I mean? I never had any problems with anybody. I like to think I'm a good person anyway. I try to be, but I never seen color. You know, we're all God's children and blah, 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 blah. But then, you know, you see the difference in shit. Like I've, I've gotten jobs over black people just because it was a secure type of job and they didn't trust the black dude because he was black. And because I'm white, I'm supposed to be more trustworthy whenever I used to steal cigarettes from the grocery store that I worked at in high school. You can't trust me. I still fucking, I still one thing right in front of you. You know what I mean? So it just became a thing for me to try to grow and change every single day. I've got an older daughter now. She just had a, uh, an 18th birthday a couple of weeks ago. She came out as bisexual a couple of years ago. You know, and I used to have a thing against gay folks. You know, because my daughter's gay, I can never have that kind of feeling because I would never disown my child for the way that they feel about somebody. You know what I mean? Love is love. So I just can't hold that kind of hate and animosity in my heart anymore. It's really honestly too big of a burden to bear. I know that's cliche as hell, but it really is. It really, really, really is. I think this generation that's coming up now is amazing in terms of how the old stuff that we put up with, they don't put up with no more. Like, they let people, they love who they want to love. They let people live life how they want to live life. And that really gives me hope for the future. It's one of those things where we, because we're about the same age, we're stuck on the old ways of how it's certain things you don't do. There's certain levels of masculinity that you kind of hold dear to you. And there's certain things that just what is it? What it is is what it is. You stay in your corner, I stay in my corner. This generation is more or less like, no, we're going to hang out with who we want to, how we want to, and when we want to. And I think that's an awesome thing. And I feel like us older cats can learn from that. Yeah. My dad was old school. Whenever you messed up, he got your ass whipped. You didn't get grounded. Didn't get shit taken away from you or timed out or none of that bullshit. You messed up. You got your ass whipped. And you know, I don't I don't hate people or I don't, you know, talk shit about people that whip their kids, because I've whipped my kids before. But in this growing process that I'm in now, you know, I try to you know not use so much hands-on. <laughs> ways of going about it more than just talking about it and you know because I was a pent up teenager 
You know what I mean? I got my ass beat all the time because I was a bad kid. And I never got to plead my case. I never got to, you know, say my side of the story. I just got my ass whipped no matter what. You wait till your daddy gets home. You're going to get your ass whipped. And I was like, you know, mom, but, 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 you know, and I never got to plead my case. So I feel like it's good for everybody. If, you know, I walked by a person in a restaurant the other day and the kid was screaming his head off. What's wrong, son? What's the matter? What, what's going on? use your words and all this kind of stuff. And I laughed to myself about it. That's what use your word Whip his ass. You know what I mean? But I'm like, you know, everybody is entitled to feel the way they do. You know what I mean? There's a reason for the way they feel. And if my kids are having problems at school or they having boy problems, girl problems, whatever it is, I want to hear their side of it. I want to hear what's going on. I think communication is huge when raising your children. You have to be in steady contact. Now, I believe in also giving giving them their privacy, but constant communication, I think, is a very, very important thing. I agree. I definitely agree with that. I think you can learn a lot from your kids and you can teach them a lot, but you have to be willing to listen to receive that. Like. There's a lot of things that as an adult and as a parent, you kind of have to learn on the fly. You don't want to make the same mistakes your parents made. You know, you don't want to, you want your kids to be successful, but at the same time, you want your kids to respect you and to honor you and to make you proud. And it's kind of have to kind of go on that tight, like balance. You got to balance that in a way where you are disciplined. You discipline them, but they know that you care. Absolutely. I used to um, I used to hate my dad at a point in my life where I didn't give a shit either way. I just hated him because he was an asshole. And when I started having kids, I made a promise to myself that I would never, ever, ever put my kids through that. I don't want my kids to hate me. I want my kids to trust me and respect me. You know what I mean? So I made a promise to myself and I became a father for the first time that I would never put my kids through what I went through. And I've, I've always say anybody that knows me, say, it will hear me say that I'm trying, I've been trying to outrun my daddy's ghost. I'm just like my dad. When my kids screw up, I'm screaming and hollering. You know what I mean? I'm threatening to whip ass and all this kind of stuff. But after it's over with, I'm like, damn, you know, damn, Wayne, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. Your kids are going to grow up and hate you because of that. And you're being, you're, you're acting just like your dad was, you know? So it used to, the damage is already done by this point, but used to, after all the screaming and the hollering and everything like that um, was over, I would have to go and apologize. You know, and say, look, I'm sorry. I, I screwed up. I should have said those things. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, and but but then sorry, t- sorry's too late at that point. You know, everything smoothed over at that particular time, but those scars are still there. You know, those kids have to carry that shit around for the rest of their lives. So so now, when I catch myself, you know, I'm redheaded. I've got a short temper. Whenever I catch myself getting that mad, I've got to, you know. And I do still getting, and, and you know, I still fuss with my kids a lot because I'm their dad. That's what that's my job, you know. But 
I have to go about it a different way. I'm not the same dad I was when they were younger. You know what I mean? It, it's I've, I've learned that, you know, I've got three kids. Each child is raised differently. I have to parent each kid differently. And I have to bond with each kid differently. So being a parent is a full-time job, honestly. Very much so. Very, very much so. Let me ask you this. As a reformed racist, that's what it, we kind of are. A recovering so. racist. Yes, recovering. That's an even better word. What is it like being in this atmosphere that you are today where you see everything that's going on in this climate? Dude, I've seen, I was around for the Rodney King stuff and the Reginald Denny shit back in California in 92. You know what I mean? I was around for all that. And it didn't impact me. It just was something on the news. I was a young young guy at that point. It, it didn't Im- impact me a lot because it was just something on the news. You know, and then years later, a couple years later, Rodney King got all his money for getting his ass beat and all this kind of stuff. And that was just something in the news. OJ killing his old lady. That was just something in the news. You know? It didn't impact me a lot. And for some reason, and I can't shake it still to this day, and that was almost a month ago now, when I seen the video of George Floyd taking his last breath in that video, dude, I cried like a baby. And I've never had anything impact me like that in my entire life. And I knew then, at that particular moment, when that man called out for his mama, I knew right then that there was no more hate in my heart for anything like that anymore. I knew right then that I was recovered. If you, if you, if you want to say that I, I coined the term recovering racist a long time ago, but I think whenever George Floyd died and I seen cause I avoided the video for as long as I could, I, I didn't really get really into it. And it came across my timeline on Facebook one day few weeks ago and I watched it. I made myself watch the entire thing. And at the end of it, I was so sad and crying. Like I've never cried before in my entire life. And it changed me as a person. Like it's, I feel like people just don't understand, you know, cause I, everybody that I've seen black on black crime is a thing. Black people die all the time. Why is George Floyd's life that important to where this huge revolution, this re- huge revolution and uprising has happened over the few months? Why is his life the one? Because they've had enough. Yep, hit it right on Black people have had enough. We we, we scrape that shit on and brush that shit under the rug, and it, we act like it didn't happen or it stays in the news for a hot minute and then it's just forgot about. They've had enough, you know. It, it, I realized over the last couple of weeks that, you know, and, and I'm not kissing anybody's ass or anything like that when I say this, but I've realized that Black lives really do matter. You know what I'm saying? And white privilege is really a thing. Yes. You know what I mean? I dude, almost on the daily when I get into conversations with people and I mention white privilege because this shit seems to come up in everyday conversation now for some reason. 
you know, it has to be a, a part of the conversation. Whether you're talking about work or cutting the grass, something always pops up about this shit. And I tell people that, you know, because you think white privilege isn't a thing, that is white privilege. That particular thing right there that you believe that it doesn't exist is white privilege. You know, going to going to the the Walmart and walking down the aisle, the, the hair hair care aisle. I don't have my own hair care center. I don't have my own section for my particular kind of hair. We have our own shit. Like everything's all the same over here. I mean, that, that's when I get picked over for a job because of the color of my skin or I commit the same crime as my best friend, black dude, and he gets roughed up and pushed up against the car and his ass beat. And I just get put in handcuffs and get in the back of the car with no black eyes or bloody lips or anything. That's white privilege in my opinion. And a lot of people tell me friends that I've been knowing for years. I've, They've disowned me on Facebook. I'm unfriended just because I think that way. And, and I can't help it. It's just, I feel like, you know, it, it's, it's not a fact of, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's not um, white guilt. I've heard of people call it white guilt, being guilty for being white. And apologizing for shit that I didn't have anything to do with. It's not about apologizing. It's not about reparations. It's not about any of that shit. It's just realizing that this particular race has been beat up and neglected and fucked with for too damn long, and it's time for shit to change. Yeah, you hit it right on it. That's simply all it is. It's not about saying you're guilty of anything. White privilege is not even necessarily your fault. It's the way the system was set up in terms of how there are, there are two sets of rules. There's rules for white people and there's rules for black people. Right. And it shouldn't be like that. It's not a necessarily like, hey, you guys get... No, it's not about rewarding you guys. Like that. No, it's just like, hey, we don't, have, we don't have the same playing field that you guys have. Look out for us in terms, in terms of that. Let's have an even playing field. It's not saying that one race is better than the other at all. It's saying we just want the same playing field that you guys have. It's just saying, hey, when we get a ticket, when we get pulled over, we don't want to fucking die. We want to go home to our family just like you guys do. That's all it really is. Yeah, I mean, I had somebody tell me the other day, you know, and I've seen it regurgitated from one person to the next. It's just people repeating the same shit over again. You know, we're all God's children. We're all, we all believe the same. You know, all lives matter. Yeah, all all lives do matter as a whole, but right now that's not what it's about. That's the only thing about it is all lives do matter. They absolutely do. Nobody deserves to die for no reason. But at this particular time, black people have just had enough. It's time for something to change. And, you know, everybody's telling me that you know, we're rioting and all this kind of shit is not the way to go about that. Protesting, I can agree with, but the riots, I don't agree with. It's, I believe that the riots and the protests are two separate entities. I believe that there's two separate groups of people doing each thing. Yeah. I'm not going to call it anything. 
You know what I mean? It's not one group of people doing this and one group of people doing that. I believe it's two separate groups of people doing two separate things. The people that really want change and want things to happen, I stand behind 100%. I'll stand on the front lines with you, my fist in the air, and we'll fight to the death. You know what I mean? But rioting and, and, and looting and all that bullshit, that, that's, I, I can't get behind that. I mean, some of it I do, you know what I mean? Like the corporation part of it, maybe I could get behind, you know what I mean, in a weird sort of way. But I don't see what burning down a mom and pop grocery store is going to accomplish. I can see it. I think what it is is that, and this is the sad, sucky thing about it that people kind of neglected the fact that when people were peacefully protesting, shit wasn't getting done. And now that people are tearing up shit, whether we agree with it or not, because like, I don't agree with it, all the rioting that's going on. But people are stopping and saying, hey, maybe we didn't do something about this now when they start tearing up shit. And it should have never gotten to that point. <laughs> like, we shouldn't have been sitting here saying, maybe we should take down those racist ass statues because they done burnt down a fucking Walmart. No. Yeah. You know, it should have never gotten to that point in the first place. When they, when we were, because this has been things that have been said for years. This is not a new thing. It's been like, hey, maybe we should stop shooting black people. Hey, Maybe we should stop shooting black people. Hey, police, maybe we should stop killing black people. Now I'm like, fucking stop killing black people. I seen just the other day in on social media or even on the news that the CEO of BET came up with a number, a monetary number that all black people in America should get. Like an actual rep, like a number for rep rate, like payback for everything that the, that the black race has been come up with 14 trillion dollars and i never broke it down you know what i mean per citizen how much each person's going to get like a reparation stimulus check or anything like that i didn't break anything down but when it comes right down to it you're putting a price tag on oppression you know what i mean you're, you're putting a price tag on 400 years of neglect and mistreatment and, and just wrongdoing. There is no price tag for that. Just fix yeah. it. Yeah, you're right. I think that, to think there about there is no monetary number that you could give me to make, you know, what I what my my nationality or my race has been through. There's no number for that. Yeah, you can't quantify it because I know a lot of people like to say that oh, racism like slavery's been over, so you guys should be okay now. No, that's not what happened at all you had you know you had slavery you had segregation then you have like laws that are made specifically to lock up black and brown people and it's been going on to this day yep. and that's the problem like you know it didn't end with just racism it, it didn't racism didn't just end with slavery it's been going on forever and a day even to this day and time and i think people need to wake up and realize that this is not a singular thing that's going to just be stopped in one day this is something that we all have to work for towards to be better with yeah and it was it was funny because when i was younger you know me being from the south that that confederate flag meant a lot to me you know it was that that's not it doesn't it doesn't stand for hate and racism and all this shit it's a heritage thing you know it's it's my background it's where i come from and i'm proud of it and all this kind of stuff it's just over the course of the years you know 400 plus years now 
a lot of those flags, what that flag stands for, you know, in a war situation isn't what everybody thinks it is, but it's a symbol of that. Like yeah. the, the colors and the stars and the cross and all that shit, it has symbolic meaning, but it, it I mean, in, in times of war, it doesn't mean what people think it does, but it's the shit that goes along with it. To, it what, it's what it represents is what people don't like. And it's funny because the Confederacy that I so much believed in and stood for and loved and cherished and all that shit only lasted four years. Yeah. Barack Obama served eight damn years in the White House. So Barack Obama spent more time in the White House as a black president, the first one ever this country's ever seen, than the Confederacy even lasted to begin with. Yeah, and we're still holding on to Confederate ways. Just imagine, just think about it like this. And this is insane. And I don't blame people who love the Confederate flag for it all, at all because it was ingrained in their culture. It's literally been ingrained in their culture, which is racist in with itself. Because think about it like this. They, that army, were traitors to the country. And they lost. Can you imagine if in Germany, after Hitler got overthrown, they were like, we're going to just keep all this shit here. Like, we're going to just hold up Hitler flags and stuff like that. People look at you, have you lost your goddamn mind? Like, but no, but in America, we're like, no. That's part of our heritage and culture. No, it doesn't have to be. That's you know, the same thing as, and, and people do it. That's what. That's why it's so absurd. But it's just like walking around with a, a Nazi Germany swastika flag. I mean, yeah. it, it's what it represents. Because I think I think the 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 swastika actually represents something completely different. Yeah, it does. Oh, it does trade it to. You know what I mean? But that was his symbol of hate. That was his symbol of oppression. That's the same thing that the Confederate flag represents. Just because it has a cross on it with stars and it's got colors in it, it has a meaning. Like it has a true traditional meaning to it, but that's not what it represents anymore. It's tied to all kinds of bad shit. So whenever you know people of color see it, it triggers all kind of shit from you know what their ancestors went through, what they still go through today and all this kind of shit. So, you know, I still believe in the Confederate flag because it's my heritage. It's where I came from. It's my Southern heritage that makes me still believe in it, but don't put it on the top of a fucking state house, put it in a museum somewhere where it belongs. That motherfucker had over 500 slaves at one time. You know what I mean? And he's got a statue just because he's a fucking president. Take that shit down. Put it in a museum somewhere. Melt it down and make fucking bullets out of it for all I give a shit. It's not, a statue doesn't mean anything to, to me personally. You know what I mean? Because I know what Southern pride I have and I know where I came from and I know who I am now. So it, it, that, that's not defined by some statue. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm just on the other side taking it all in, listening, I'm learning, I'm, I'm being observant, and I'm, I'm, I'm caring now a whole lot more than I ever have, Delvin. It's ridiculous. Like, I, I have so much empathy and sadness in my heart about all this shit. Like, I, I, you know, I, I'm glad that things, some things are starting to change, but then some things are still going to be the same old shit. I don't think racism in general will ever go away. That is true. Never go away. 
but I, but I do hope for some kind of change in the fact that, you know, people of color get equal opportunities, people of color get treated the same. You know what I mean? I, I feel like, and I'm speaking on Asians, Hispanics, I'm speaking on everybody, people of, of color, everybody, the entire rainbow. I, I feel like everybody deserves an opportunity to do anything no matter what color you are or where you come from. You know what I mean? And and I feel like we're on the right path, but there's a lot of shit still got to change for that to happen. Yeah, I think my idea of America is when people are racist, we immediately call it out for that. It see, it becomes an abnormality. It becomes something that like like are you still being racist? Like, in this day, it, it becomes, like, weird. It becomes unsettling. I think that's how it should be looked at at all times. We're not there yet, but that's why I want to see us get to a point where it's like, huh, I can't believe you just said that. Like, this is not something that we practice anymore at all. I feel like that if, you know, it, it shouldn't be normal, you know, to, to be judged by the color of your skin. like. You know, there's no way that Bob here didn't get the job over me because he's been in this department for 10 years longer than I have. You know what I mean? And because he's black, that's dumb as shit. You know what I mean? I'm going to turn that. I mean, and and hopefully, hopefully, uh, white people in general will. Notice that notice it happening and say, no, dude, give that job to Bob. He deserves it way more than me. I'm turning that job down. That's what America should be. You know, it's it's more or less um, in simple terms, Devin. It's just equality for everybody. You know, it's basically what it boils down to. It's just equal opportunities for, for everybody. I mean, this country was founded on immigrants, you know, um, white people themselves are here illegally, you know what I mean? If you want to break it down. So who am I to say that it's wrong that your ancestors were, I mean, that they were put on a boat and brought over here and, uh, this country was built on the backs of African-Americans. No, there's, there's no denying that this country from the very beginning was built on the backs of African-Americans. And I'll say it on the mountaintops. You know what I mean? There's no way anybody can deny that. So give them what they deserve and stop being a dick about it. I think that's perfect. With it in this episode, <laughs> I'm not kissing anybody's ass. Though, you know what I mean? No, I think you're being I don't honest. expect, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this just to, to make myself look better. This is truly how I feel. You know what I mean? I, I'm not, this isn't a rigged episode where I'm portraying this person. This is who I really am. And this is how I really feel. And I feel like that if we would just give, you know, people of color what they deserve and treat them like fucking human beings, it'll all be okay. And yeah. simple, that's, that's what it's about. It's been a great episode, Grant, man. I think 
I like the fact that this episode shows your growth. I, I hope it does. I hope it does. I think it does. I'm- Let them know what to find yet, Rip. I am all over social media, dude. I'm on Facebook. My name is Wayne Mincy. Just look me up. Um, got Twitter. Uh, the the podcast that we do, we have Shitty Song of the Week. You can find that on Twitter at Shitty Song Pod. Um, I help host Just a Podcast. You can find that show on Twitter at Just underscore a podcast. I have my own personal Twitter. Um, Red Mincy. Just type in uh, red, it'll come up. I'm, I'm the only one. Um, the new show that I've coming out, that I've got coming out, you can also find it on um, Twitter. It's called the Two Mics Podcast. Um, you can find it on at the Two Mics Podcast. So I don't have anything out yet, but you know, you can come follow us and all, or come follow me and then all the shit that's going to be coming out. So. Yeah, I think you guys should do that. And I also think you should check out Red and have a conversation with Red. You know, I think it's good to open up this dialogue and help us grow and make us both better. You know, still sharp and still. If you haven't noticed already, I love to talk. I'm a talker. So, um, yeah, if you want to talk about anything, hit me up. You know where to find me. As always, Delver Cox Experience, we are out. Peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Delver Cox Experience. If you want more content, go on patreon.com slash the Delvin Cox Experience. There we have a bunch of exclusive episodes, including the video version of The Roast of Delvin Cox. You can't get the video version anywhere else but on Patreon, so make sure you check it out. Also, shout out to Patreon producer Ghost Rider UK.